We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Mark 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence and for your love. Uh, your love that, as the psalmist says, is better than life. And we pray that that would be what we would experience right now as we come to your word. Lord, would you speak to us this morning wherever we find ourselves in this room, whether we find ourselves convinced of the things that we have been singing and praying, whether we find ourselves utterly unconvinced of the things that we have been singing and praying, whether we find ourselves having once believed And we're here just trying to figure out if we could ever believe again. Lord, would you come and meet us by your spirit? And would you meet us in such a way that we would leave today different? That we would know more of your goodness, more of your kindness. All of these things that we have been singing about this morning, Lord, we want to know more of you. And so come and teach us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, My name is Brent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're new and I've never met you, I would love to get to meet you after the service. Dave and I will be up front, and we'd love to get to learn your name, so please come introduce yourself. Uh, We're in a series in the Gospel of Mark, and if you are not all that familiar with the Bible, Mark is one of four Gospels, along with Matthew, Luke, and John, that are eyewitness accounts of the life and the teachings and the ministry, and the miracles, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. 
And if you've never read the Bible or you, don't, you feel like you don't know that much of the Bible, the Gospels is actually the place where you want to start. Because the Gospels tell us who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what it means to follow him. And, and today's passage is really about that last question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because in this passage, we read about a man named Levi, and Jesus says to him, follow me. I was reading this week about all of the different things that individuals and companies are encouraged to do if you want to build your followers on social media. And there's a lot of tips, so let me give you some. You probably came to church wondering how to build your social media platform. Let me tell you, you got to create strong brand identity, all right? You need a really good logo, you need the right colors, you need good graphics. Uh, you, need to, um, you need to follow other relevant count, accounts. So if you, if you want to build your followers, you've actually got to become a follower yourself. Uh, you need to create a social media calendar. You've got to have a plan. You don't want to seem too eager. You don't want to like inundate people, but they need to hear from you regularly. And then you need to really analyze all of the, 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 the information about your post. You know, which ones are most strategic and who's reaching the most people. You know, Jesus had a much simpler method for building his followers. He walked up to people. He, he, he never had, let me put it this way, Jesus never had a logo. He never had social media. He never used a hashtag. It was much more simple. He walked up to people and he said to them, follow me. And they did. Which is kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, there must have been something so magnetic about Jesus, so compelling about Jesus, so irresistible about Jesus. And you see, these two words that he utters to Levi in this passage, follow me, I think they're two of the most important words in the whole Bible, actually. Um, let me put it to you this way. These two words are the most concise summary of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who is a follower of Jesus. A Christian is someone who has had the same experience as Levi. Jesus has said to you, follow me, and you have. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to I look at, as we look at this text, I want to I answer a very simple but important question. And in fact, I would say to you that if Christianity is true, and that really is the question, it's not how do you feel about Christianity. The question is, is Christianity true or not? And if it is true, then this is the most important question you'll ever ask in your life, and it's this. It's a very simple question. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Now, some of you here this morning, and you are exploring faith. And this is actually the question you're asking. The question you're asking is, what does it mean to be a Christian? And my hope for you in this sermon is that you leave with some clarity. I also hope that you might actually become a Christian today. Now, others of you here, and many of you, you are Christians, and some of you have been Christians for a very long time, and, and you're thinking, ah, this sermon is not for me. Wrong. Wrong. You know, Jack Nicholas, who many consider to be the greatest golfer 
ever. Jack Nicholas said that every year he went back to his swing coach and he said, teach me everything again. Teach me how to stand, teach me how to hold the club, teach me where to look, teach me where to put my feet. And you see, you, 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 for Jack Nicholas, it's coming back to the basics. And this is, this is, if you're a Christian, this is exactly what we have to do as well. You never get past coming back to the basics. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What is a Christian? And here's the first thing this text tells us. A Christian is someone who has been found by Jesus. A Christian is somebody who's been found by Jesus. So let's just walk through this text. Look at verse 13 again. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, notice this. Levi does not go to Jesus and ask Jesus if he can follow him. Jesus goes to Levi and tells him to follow him. And this would have, this, it's, we read right past it, but it would have been so shocking. Because in the first century, pupils always chose rabbis. Rabbis never chose pupils. If you wanted to study under a rabbi, if you wanted to learn under a rabbi, you went to them and you asked them. It was always the pupil who sought out the rabbi, but Jesus is totally different. And what we learn right here off the bat is that before we ever go looking for Jesus, he goes looking for us. Before we find him, he finds us. Before we seek after him, he seeks after us. And you see, God has always been this way, actually. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve, when sin enters into the world, and Adam and Eve go from walking with God in the garden to hiding from God because of their shame and guilt, God comes to them and he asks them a question. It's the very first question in all the Bible. You know what, you know what God asks them? Where are you? I, that's a really interesting question. Why does God ask them where they are? Has God been like walking around the garden and he's like, come out, come out, wherever you are. You guys are such good hiders. I can't imagine where you are. No, no, no. God knows exactly where they are. And God is not asking this question for his sake. God is asking this question for their sake. He knows exactly where they are, and what he's doing is he's inviting them out of their shame and their guilt and back into his love and embrace. And you see, he's finding them. And God has been doing the same thing ever since. A Christian is not someone who finds God. No, no, no. A Christian is someone who has been found by God. And this is good news this morning. Because if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you know what it means? It means that God is looking for you. God is seeking after you, and he wants to find you. And you see, this passage actually says there's one requirement for that to happen in your life, to be found by God, to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus. It requires one thing, one thing. So what is it? Well, look at the very next verse, verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner, 
in Levi's house. Interesting note, uh, Jesus eats a lot in the Gospels. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I read one commentator this week. He said, you know, in the Gospels, Jesus was always either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. It's amazing. Um, So he's at a meal. He's eating. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, and on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Don't mishear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that there are good people in the world, like the religious leaders, and there are bad people in the world, like the tax collectors. And there are, you know, he's not saying there are some who are righteous and some who are not. He's not saying that, you know, there are bad people who need him and good people who don't. No, Jesus is saying there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who think that they are righteous, like the religious leaders, and there are people who know that they are not, like the tax collectors. There are people who think that they are morally and spiritually well, and there are people who know that they are not. There are people who think that they don't need a Savior, And there are people who desperately know that they do. And so therefore, I want you to hear this this morning, the one requirement to becoming a Christian, to be found by God, is not that you pull your life together. It is not that you start making all of the right decisions, and it is not that you start doing all of these religious and churchy things. The one requirement to becoming a Christian, says Jesus, is need. John Stott the great Christian writer and theologian puts it it this way. He says, to become a Christian, all you need is need. And Stott says, but the problem is that very few people have that. You know who was constantly not understanding Jesus in the Gospels? It was the good people. It was the moral people. It was the religious people. And you see, Jesus, what he's saying in this passage is, look, sometimes, people like many of us in this room, actually. And so what Jesus, this is so revolutionary, what Jesus is saying. He's saying sometimes the thing that actually stands in the way of you having a relationship with God is not your badness. That's how some of us think of it. Oh, that's what separates us from God. What Jesus is actually saying is sometimes what gets in the way of your relationship with God is your goodness. Because it blinds you to your need, which is the one thing you need. Uh, it reminds me of this great hymn. Some of you probably grew up in churches that, that sung it. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Let not conscience make you linger nor of fitness fondly dream. The only fitness God requires is to feel your need for him. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. All you need is need. 
Now, that's the first thing that this text tells us about what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who is found by God, and God finds us, and he seeks after us, not because we are good, but because he is good, and to be found by God, all you need is need. But here's the second point. A Christian is not just someone who is found by God. A Christian is someone who is loved by God. Christian is somebody who is loved by God. Look at the very next verse. We're just going to keep moving through the text here. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. And the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, you're a teacher, and you know that the law says we should fast. So, so why aren't you teaching your disciples to fast? And Jesus says, because I'm not a teacher. I'm a bridegroom. And if you really want to understand what it means to be a Christian, you have to understand Jesus as the bridegroom. The Bible, I mentioned this last week, it, it has all sorts of metaphors for how God relates to us. It says that God is a king who rules over us. It says that God is a shepherd who leads and guides us. And God is a loving father who, who protects us. And God is the great physician who heals us. But the main metaphor in the Bible for how God relates to us is this. Is that God is the bridegroom who loves us. And until you understand that, you'll never understand what it means to be a Christian. You know, whenever I officiate weddings, everybody else always looks at the bride when she comes walking down the aisle. You know who I always look at? The groom. I always watch the groom. You know, there is no smile like the smile of a groom when they see their bride walking down the aisle. There's no look like that look. And you see, this is exactly how God looks at us. And some of you in this room are thinking, really? That sounds like a stretch. Well, listen to Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. See, becoming a Christian is not just getting religious. And it's not just adopting kind of some new morals and ethics for your life. Becoming a Christian is coming into relationship with the one who loves you more than anyone else ever possibly could. It's coming into relationship with the one whose heart beats for you and whose affections run wild for you and who rejoices over you. See, this is why as a pastor, I get a little nervous when I hear people talk about how much they love God. No, no, no. A Christian is not someone who talks a lot about their love for God. A Christian is somebody who talks about God's love for them, much more than they talk about their love for God. Because at the end of the day, all we bring is need. <laughs> and all God does is pour out his love on us in return. David Ireland was dying from a crippling neurological disease when he and his wife learned that she was pregnant with a son. And knowing that he was never going to get to meet his son, 
he decided to write a book to his son, to put it all down in print, to be able to say all the things he'd ever want to say to his son that he wouldn't be able to say in person. And the book was called Letters to an Unborn Child, actually. And in one of these letters, he introduces his unborn son to his mother with these words. He says, my child, I want you to know what your mother is like. She is very special. And I think that I can make it clear to you by just telling you what happens when we go out to eat at night. When we go out to a restaurant, this is what she has to do. Because I'm a quadriplegic now and in a wheelchair, she has to bathe me, dress me, empty the urine and fecal bags that are strapped to my legs, then put me in the wheelchair, drive me out to the garage, open the garage, open the door, get out a board, pull up the arm on my chair, slide me across the board, put me in the car, put, the, put down the arm, fold up the chair, open the trunk, put in the chair, close the trunk, close the door, get in the car, back it out, close the garage door, drive to the restaurant. When we get there, the whole process is reversed. Stop the car, get out, open the trunk, get out the chair, unfold it, bring it to the door, open the door, put down the board, slide me across, put down the arm, close the door, push me in, shut the trunk. And when we sit down at a table, she feeds me, wipes the drool from my mouth because I can barely eat, gets up, pays the check, and then the whole process is reversed go out to the car, open the door, take off the arm, put down the board, slide me across, put down the arm, fold up the chair, go to the back, open the trunk, put up the chair, close the trunk, get in the car, drive, get to the garage, up goes the garage door, everything else is reversed. Take me in. And then she cleans me, empties the fecal and urine bags, bathes me, puts me in my pajamas, lays me in my bed. And then he writes this, to his son. He says, son, these are her last words to me at the end of that night. Thank you, honey, for taking me out to eat tonight. This is a picture of what it means to be a Christian. All we bring is need. And yet all God does is continue to pour out his love on us in return. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you ever experienced this love? Have you ever known the love of God? Some of you are here this morning and you're saying, no, I haven't, but I want to. How do I access this? Well, look at the very next verse. Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he was with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Sounds very cryptic, it's not. He's actually talking about the cross. And you see, if you really want the love of God to come flooding into your life, if you want to know God not just as a king, but as the bridegroom, you have to understand the cross. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, the Apostle Paul makes this really interesting connection between Jesus as the bridegroom and what happened on the cross. Let me read it for you. He says, Husbands, love your wives 
just as Christ loved the church, and listen to this, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's what Paul is saying. Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. And in dying for you, he made you beautiful to God. So that when you come walking down the aisle, God does not see your need. He sees you as perfect as he sees his own son. Without any stain. Without any blemish. Just beauty. That's that's what God sees. See, if you want to know the love of God like that. Friends, it all begins at the cross where Jesus stretched out his arms as if to say, I love you this much. I love you so much that I would do all of this for you. Now, for those of you who are here today and who are Christians and you already know this story and you've already experienced this love, but some of you are here saying, you know, I don't really sense God's love in my life. It, it, it feels far away. And you're wondering, well, how do I, how do I actually experience more of that in my life? Well, let me just say two things to you. First, you never get past the basics, see? Jack Nicholas came back to his swing every year, but we have to come back to the love of God displayed at the cross every day. And if you don't learn to do that, God's love will become not real to you. And second, you say, well, okay, that, that, I, okay, that sounds good, but that, that still sounds a little abstract. Well, let me get a little more practical for you. Because it's interesting that the Pharisees start arguing with Jesus about fasting in this passage. And Jesus actually says in verse 20, he says, you know, there's a time not to fast and there's a time to fast. And the time to fast is actually when he's taken from us, which is now. Now, you might remember we actually, we had a sermon on fasting a couple months ago. You've all been practicing ever since, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, sorry, that was really bad. Like, preaching about God's love and just made you feel terribly guilty. Okay. All right. Um, uh, but you might remember we had a sermon on fasting a couple months ago, and fasting It was in a series on the spiritual disciplines. And fasting is one of the spiritual disciplines. Along with with Sabbath, along with meditation and prayer, along with generosity. And you see, the spiritual disciplines are like IVs. They're like, they're the lines that God has given to us so that he can inject our lives with a deeper sense of his love and presence because of the cross. Let, Let me show you how this works. In Sabbath, We are able to rest. You know why? Because we are reminded of Jesus' finished work on the cross. And when we pray and when we meditate, we're reminded that the reason we are able to commune with God is because Jesus lost that communion on the cross. And when we give, see, generosity, that's a spiritual discipline, When we give, we learn to give sacrificially because that is how God gave to us 
at the cross. And if you want to know more of God's love in your life, if your relationship with God doesn't feel like a marriage, but you want it to, you have to cultivate the spiritual disciplines into your life. Which brings us to the last point. A Christian is someone who has been found by God. A Christian is someone who is loved by God. And here's the last thing. A Christian is someone who is transformed by God. There's this really famous story about Maya Angelou and Tupac. So Maya Angelou, if you remember, you know, very famous poet, author, civil rights activist. Some of you are too young to remember Tupac. So let me remind you, Tupac was this famous rapper. He was actually killed uh, in, the, in the 90s, shot and killed. And there's a story about apparently early on in his career, he was getting into all sorts of trouble. And Maya Angelou knew him, and she took him aside at one point. And as the story goes, she looked Tupac in the eyes, and this is what she said. She said, when's the last time someone reminded you that all those years our people put their lives on the line to fight and to end slavery. And all the years that our people put their lives on the line to end segregation and oppression. When is the last time someone reminded you that that was for you? So that you could have freedom, and listen to this, so that you could live differently. See, love, love is the engine for change. And when you experience the love of God, guess what? Your life begins to look different. Things begin to change. And what does that, amen, and what does that, what does that change actually look like? Well, look at the very next verse, verse 21. Jesus says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, don't, don't get lost in the metaphor. Jesus is simply saying that he has come to do something totally new something that is totally different from the old approach of the Pharisees. The religion of the Pharisees was that God kept a relationship with you if you kept the law. And so they were hyper-focused on obeying the law. And guess what? It made them very moral. And it made them very good. You know what it didn't make them? It did not make them followers of Jesus. It changed them on the outside, but it did not change them on the inside. And Jesus is saying that he has come to do something totally new. He has not just come to make us good, moral people. He's not just come to change you on the outside, but he has come to give us new hearts so that we can be new creations. He didn't just come to make you nice. He came to make you new. He came to make us into people of love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. And, and you know what? That is exactly what we see in the story of Levi. 
Levi, who's at this meal with Jesus. You know, you know what scholars tell us? Scholars tell us that Levi, this greedy, corrupt, deceptive, self-loving tax collector, became known as the disciple Matthew. He actually wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He went from a thief to a leader in the church. He went from a sinner to a saint. And you see, this is such good news for us this morning because it means that there is hope for everyone in this room. There is nothing in your life that is too hard for God to change. Nothing. God can change your addiction. God can change your marriage. God can change your depression. God can change your anger. God can change your bitterness. God can change your worry. God can change you. And you see, if you are in Christ, you are not stuck. There is always hope for change. And you see, in this passage, the place where it all started for Levi, you know where it was? It was at this meal. And the same is actually true for us today. This table, this meal, is where God finds us in all of our need. That's the one requirement to come to this table today. You cannot come saying, God, I'm a generally good person and I've tried pretty hard. Now, the only way to come is to say, God, I have nothing to bring. And you know what God does when you come like that? He meets you with his love. His love displayed for us by his son and at the cross who loved us so much that he gave himself for us. Why? So that we might be found by God. So that we might be loved by God. And so that we might be changed by God. And it actually all starts right here. It was at a meal for Levi and it's at a meal for us. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, what incredible news. What an incredible God we find at this table. A God who finds us, who seeks after us, and who pours out your love upon us. And a God who is determined to make us into the people that you have called us to be. Would you help us this morning? Some of us, we've never known that love. It's never become real for us. May today be the day. May right now be the moment where it becomes real. And for others of us, God, we need to come back to this love again and again and again. And thank you that you have invited us to do that today at this table. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.